Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Michigan football is back. Practice began on Monday and the countdown to the opener on September 2nd is underway. It also means we are back on our weekly schedule. Beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live joins us on our game day segment this week as we start a month of previews in anticipation of the Florida opener. Before Nick joins us, a few news and notes to get us started. Year three of the Jim Harbaugh era is upon us. At Big Ten Media Days in Chicago last week, Harbaugh said fun time is over. Starting this week, it's back to work. He said it's a three-way tie at quarterback, and after 8-15 to 15 practices, he will know who the winner is. There will be no media allowed at any of the practices this month, but daily access will be given to the beat reporters, so we'll get some news during camp, but I'm sure not very much. Nick Baumgartner says year three of the Jim Harbaugh era is huge, as we all know. Urban Meyer and Nick Saban both won national championships with very young teams in their third seasons, so the pressure is building for Michigan to start winning the tough games and, yes, beat Ohio State. So get ready, it's going to be a long month of August as we speculate, anticipate, prognosticate, and dream big dreams about the coming season. Beat writer Nick Baumgartner is up next on game day here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. with us as we do our first preview show of the season is Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live, all rested and ready to go, right Nick? Yep, good to be here Mike, it's uh, football time more or less, so uh, let's get into it. Yeah, we're here, let's get this four weeks of uh, anxiety and speculation started, uh, practice gets <laughs> underway today uh, as we're taping the show on Monday, no double sessions uh, moving forward, which uh, I like that idea. Just uh, one practice, maybe a longer practice. But uh, here it is, the long, hot days of summer, as you expect when you uh, get the pads on. So uh, a little bit different this year with just uh, with no double sessions, Nick. Yeah, no, no two a days anymore. Um, and they also, you know, if you'll notice, they moved camp up about a week. Everybody, more or less, everybody did this. Um, and I think that's probably to maybe make up for some of those lost double sessions. But I think that um, most people are of the mind that you know those two a days were were sort of archaic. <laughs> I don't think anybody needed to be out there for nine hours a day with football pads on. I think that's a bit ridiculous, but at the same time, you know, you can get plenty of work done in camp with all the practices you're, you're allowed to have, uh, all the meeting time and all the everything else. It's still, it's still more or less all right there at the camp. You're all, you know, you're all involved and it's, it's all football for at least, you know, not for the freshmen, I suppose, you know, they'll still be in class uh, in the bridge program for, for a little bit here. Uh, but for everyone else, it'll be all football, uh, all month. There is no school. Uh, they're done with classes until the fall starts. So uh, it'll be all football all the time. Even if it isn't two days, it'll still be all football all the time for the rest of the month. And 
We'll have plenty of time to get ready for the season and that first game against Florida. A lot of us scratch our heads at the rules that come down from the NCAA, but this was one I did not hear anyone complain about, Nick. No, no one. I, I think a lot of places had already started to do away with two-a-days, um, and certainly any three-a-days that were still lingering around were more or less gone. But but I think most people, um, especially the student-athletes uh, and, and the coaches, I think on most levels, I think they all agreed that this was for the best um, – you know, there, there have been some some things with time demand done this year that, that have allowed them more time uh, both during the season and during their discretionary periods and everything else. And this was one of those one of those things as well. So I'm not sure if it was, you know, an eradication of what was still a massive, massively used things. I don't think a lot of people used them, but I'm sure they were still lingering around somewhere and they and they probably needed to go. So it's probably best for everybody. Keeps everybody safer and uh, especially down south where it's, where it's, you know, you imagine that 110 degree heat or whatever it is down there. I mean, nobody needs to be doing that. So uh, I think it, it just helps everybody. Well, last week, of course, things kicked off with the Big Ten media days, uh, two days in Chicago. Uh, anything interesting uh, that jumped out at you coming from those meetings? Uh, nothing that was earth shattering or groundbreaking. I think that, you know, Jim Harbaugh, though, he did uh, reaffirm to anyone who still doesn't want to believe it or pay attention to it, that the quarterbacks are going to compete. Uh, and that Brandon Peters is going to have an opportunity uh, to to win this job. You know, obviously Wilton Spate, uh, you know, is probably going to have an advantage there given his experience. Though Harbaugh didn't say that. Uh, he didn't say he's in the lead or he's going to go into this with a with an edge. He just said that you know Wilton's in a good spot because obviously he was a starter last year and he uh, has been through this before. So you know, if all things are equal, Wilton should probably you know they expect him to probably win it. But at the same time, if Brandon Peters is going to go out there and play like a young Andrew Luck or something, then he's going to be your starting quarterback. And that's that's the reality, and that's the situation. There's a lot of people, I still think, there's a lot of people who believe that there's no way, no matter what, Jim Harbaugh is going to play a redshirt freshman over a, over a senior or fourth-year junior, whatever Wilton is. They're just, they, you know, they think that there's no way he's going to do this. And my retort to them is, if Brandon Peters is better, uh, he'll be the guy. I think Jim Harbaugh confirmed as much last week uh, in, any way he, in, in every way he possibly could. And, you know, in, in about two and a half weeks or so, they'll know who it is. And we won't. We probably won't know until the game. The game but, uh, you know, I would say probably eight to ten, I think is what he said, eight to ten practices, somewhere in there. Uh, maybe ten, ten or more. I can't remember what it was. But somewhere in there, he'll know uh, who the guy is, and, and they'll get ready and, and move forward from there. Well, the coaching staff will know after uh, eight practice, 15, whatever yeah. it is. That yeah, we you, won't. You, no, I, I don't think we're going to hear any kind of a – uh, a public announcement until uh, we see them come out on the field against right. Florida. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think, Nick? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, yeah, we won't know until game day. Um, and like you said, until they walk out on the field, it won't be one of those. I can't anticipate any announcements being made, uh, but, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, more importantly for them, they'll know. Uh, pretty quickly here, I would think, or at least in a couple weeks. We had the uh, barbecue at the big house over the weekend. Got a few commits. Uh, verbals out of that for uh, uh, the class of 2019, mm-hmm. I, I think that they were. And then a notable uh, uh, thanks, but no thanks, from JT Daniels, who committed Sunday night to uh, USC. But another well-attended, very successful event, Nick. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can get a couple a couple guys out of uh, uh, one event... And probably make some make some momentum with some others. I think it's a, a success. Obviously, they were able to get Nora Rumler, the big offensive lineman, uh, big tackle. I think from, from Ohio there in 2019. And again, this 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 whole class or this whole summer, uh, since the 2018 class is going to be a little smaller. They have spent a ton of time on 2019 to try to get a head start on on whatever that might end up being. But so you get you get one in Rumler, and then you get a really big one uh, in Stephen Heron. 
the defensive end from Louisville, who's a five-star prospect. He was the number four-ranked defensive end in the class, or weak side end, anyway. Uh, top 40 player. Um, you know, one of the guys everybody wanted. Obviously, it's a long time to signing day, but at the same time, you're you're in a really good spot with him. Obviously, you have a commitment and nothing's guaranteed, but at the same time, you were able to do enough uh, to get him in that spot. So, so you have him, you have a good building block there. Maybe he can help you reel in some more. Um, it looked like they maybe had a little bit of momentum with JT Daniels, but at the same time, you know, he was the top quarterback in the country. Uh, he goes to modern day high school in LA or outside of LA, whatever he's going to, he's going to stay there at USC. I, I almost wondered if he was making this trip because I know his dad, uh, grew up in the state. Um, he grew up in Detroit, I believe, and was a Michigan fan. I almost wonder if he was making the trip just to see if, if maybe there was something there. And then he, because he committed like on the way home, so <laughs> he just decided to move on to USC. But same time, uh, you know, they did they did have a guy like that on campus. They had a lot of guys on campus, and and uh, those are always good events to have, especially this time of year. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they get a few more here this week, or at least one or two. Uh, that, that pop off and say, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm in now. I don't know. But at the same time, good start to the 2019 group, uh, and they'll continue to, to build the rest of that 2018 class as, as they go forward. Well, looking back to uh, media days uh, again for just a minute, uh, Nick, uh, last week Jim talked about uh, his incoming freshman class, especially the uh, early enrollees. It sounds like a lot of these guys he really likes, and they're going to be seeing early playing time. That's uh, the way I read it. Yeah, yeah, just like last year. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of guys either be in rotation uh, or maybe even starting on some level, but either in the rotation or just on a, having a role uh, somewhere on the team. You know, I think you saw that last year with a lot of guys. If they weren't playing, you know, rotational stamps on the field early, they were, you know, on special, like Devin Bush or Khalid Hudson. You know, those guys played a lot of a lot of punt team, a lot of kickoff, kick receive, whatever it was. They played a lot of special teams, and then they would get a few snaps here or there. Uh, so I think you'll see a lot of guys doing that rather than just simply redshirting. And I think that that's probably the ultimate takeaway here in that he likes a lot of them for, for heavy time. You know, guys like, um, you know, Cesar Ruiz may be a rotational guy up front on the offensive line if he doesn't win the job. Uh, you know, Aubrey Solomon is certainly going to be a guy who probably rotates with the defensive line. you got a couple other defensive linemen in there, James Hudson, uh, Luigi Villane, Quiddy Pay might get some time in there. Uh, and, and, you know, Donovan Jeter, I mean, across the board, and then your receivers are in the same boat. You have so many of them uh, with Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones probably leading the way. But then you also brought back in, you know, Oliver Martin and, and Nico Collins are here now too, and I think they're going to have a chance. So all these guys are going to have a chance to play, and even if they're not playing heavy snaps, I think they'll pro- most of them, a good chunk of them, will probably be involved somewhere because you got to remember this too. You know, the, the core of the football team now is your sophomore class, and your freshman class. That's that's the biggest two classes you have, and they believe they're the most talented. So they have to get up to speed and get ready uh, to make dif- you know make a difference and, and, and be those guys that kind of carry this thing forward. Because as you look down the line, not just for this season, but you look at 2018, 2019, you know those are the two classes they're gonna they're gonna have to carry you. So it's time to get those guys in, ready to go. And uh, I'm sure like a ton of them are gonna play, and a ton of, I don't know how much, but I think a lot of them are gonna play and do something rather than just sit there and, and sit out a year and, and redshirt. I, I don't, I think they would prefer them to be on the field, be engaged and involved rather than just sitting there watching. And that is what I find most interesting is that this team is so going to be so heavily dependent on this sophomore class and the incoming mm-hmm. freshmen. And then you look at the preseason magazines. I think we all get previewed out. If we're not already, we will be in the next few <laughs> right. weeks, Nick. But you look at the preseason magazines, uh, and there are so many of them, I'm not going to name them. 
To me, the interesting thing after doing this for so many years is to look at the variety of opinion from the so-called experts on this team. They are all over the map, anywhere from Big Ten contenders to a possible playoff team to an 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three team. There is just uh, no agreement on where this team is headed. I mean, no, there's agreement where it's headed. The future yeah. is bright, but this season really uh, is a big question mark. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating year, I think, in a, in a lot of respects. It's, um, you know, it's a year where we're going to find out, you know, if if some of the development that we that, that people thought or assumed was was happening with with guys that are in their second or third year uh, is really ready to turn the corner. You know, it's a, it's a year where we're going to find out if, you know, if Jim Harbaugh can kind of bounce back from what, you know, I mean, and he will admit to you was a disappointment last season. I mean, you know, that's, that's just, it was what it was. I mean, they, that team should not have lost three games. They should not have ended the season without any championship of any kind. I mean, that was a playoff team or at the very worst, a big 10 championship game appearing team or something like that. I mean, they, they were better than what they finished and they all knew it. So is he going to be able to bounce back from that? And is this offense finally going to get itself together regardless of age or whatever? You know, they say so much about how age is just the number and everything else. This is a year where, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of people, I don't think, expect them to win the league. But I think a lot of people also in the, in the next breath say, well, there's a ton of talent there, even if it's raw. And Jim Harbaugh is apparently this great coach. So if he can do all the things that, that uh, we expect him to be able to do, then why not? So I think that that's why, the, that's why there's maybe hesitation there where you see, you know, a team like Ohio State last year, you know, that was so young. Well, they were so young, but they also had a ton of talent. Urban Meyer is a fantastic coach. So you know, there they were at the end of November, uh, right in the playoff picture. So I think that there's a lot of people who, who think that might be on the table for Michigan, but at the same time, Urban Meyer has done all that before. We're going to have to now see it a little bit from Jim Harbaugh. I think you're going to have to see results now a little bit. And when I say results, not, not necessarily winning the league or anything like that, but beating teams you're not supposed to beat. I mean, he's going to have to win one of these games on the road that they're not, that they're not going to be favored in and, uh, you know, and, and be, carry over sort of that momentum, momentum of a, you know, what you were building here was a strong football team that was difficult to play. And that always sort of brings it and doesn't just lay down or have any of these hiccups or whatever it is week to week, regardless of age or anything else that they, that they truly do reload. Can they truly reload and move forward? Or are they going to have to spend some time rebuilding? And that's why in a lot of ways, it's a fascinating year um, because they're not a slam dunk to win the league. If most, if most people had their, you know, their immediate opinion, it would be that they're probably going to finish third in the Big Ten East. But at the same time, you know, is the possibility there for them to surprise and move forward? I think that's why people are interested in. And that's why I think those opinions do vary uh, all over the place. With us here on our game day segment this week, as we begin our previews of the fast approaching season, is Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. Nick, let's talk about some of the, uh, the offensive uh, players and question marks that we have. At the tight end spot, does it look like uh, Tyrone Wheatley Jr. pretty much has at least the starting job nailed down? Yeah, I think he and Ian Bunting will be your your first two. I'm not sure uh, who gets more reps out of that duo, uh, but I think they'll at least be the guys who get the, the bulk of them, um, or at least do, do the most of the work to replace Jake. But uh, you know, we, you know, Wheatley spent a lot of time in the spring trying to lose weight because it had gotten back up again way too high at the end of last year. I think he said he was like 290. Uh, at the end of last season, which was way too high. Uh, I think he wants to be down in the 250s and like 255, 260, something like that. And, and I think that's where he's at now. So he's back where he needs to be. But at the same time, they did stress a lot to him that, you know, you're not fast enough at 275, 280, 290 to be a guy who's on the field for, you know, uh, as a three down tight end like Jake Butt was. 
Um, so if he can maintain his weight, I think I think he's probably the guy. But if he's if he loses it a little bit and it gets back up again, and he gets too heavy, then you probably got to go with Ian Bunting. I think Tyrone's probably more talented, uh, but Ian's in better shape consistently anyway, in better shape and more experience. So I think both those guys are going to play, but it will be interesting to see which one of them sort of becomes the you know the first down, second down, third down tight end, the guy that you don't have to take off the field uh, in a passing situation, the guy that can hold his own on the line uh, as a blocker. So. Uh, both of them have their strengths that are separate, but whoever becomes best at you know each facet of playing tight end is going to be out there longer. And when I look at the uh, the two deep chart as far as the uh, the wideouts go, the slot guys, it just I, I don't I don't know if I can remember when we've had so many kids you can look at and say, wow, do we have a lot of talent out there? I know you like Tariq Black coming out of spring mm-hmm. ball. Do you see a rotation set there, or is that wide open right now? Yeah, I think that's wide open. I think it's wide open even to the top spot. You know, I, I mean, I think the default is that Kukua Crawford's probably the best guy, and he probably was. But at the same time, he's only a sophomore, and he hasn't played a ton. So, you know, he still has some time to prove himself and everything else. And, you know, Eddie McDoom, I think, is in the same boat and that he played a lot last year. But same t- same time, it was only one one year. We're going we're gonna to have to see. I think where I kind of come out on it at, at is, you know, I think this offense, you know, if, you, if these young guys – you know, all of them. I mean, if, if Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Nico Collins and Oliver Martin and everybody else kind of gets up to speed as fast as they think they will, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, four and five receiver sets. I think they're going to spread the field out. And I think they're going to get the ball to some athletes in space uh, in simple manner, in a simple manner. Not, you know, not vertically necessarily, not chucking it deep or trying to blow the top off any, anybody, but, you know, quick stuff, little stuff to get the ball in, in the hands of athletes and let them play. Because if you have so many of them, you know, there's no point in sitting them, you know, sitting them on the side and bringing in three tight ends and, and slugging around if you ha- if you don't have to. So, I think you're going to see different stuff this year uh, in terms of trying to get more of those guys on the field, and that's why I think a lot of them are going to play. I mean, the rotation would be, you know, that's still who's your guys, who's your who's your every down guy. I mean, you know, Crawford probably. Uh, I like Tariq Black there over maybe a Mo Ways or even Donovan Peoples Jones, but at the same time, I think that's. I think that's still up for debate, but you know, I think at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway that I've had is that you're going to see a lot of, a lot more spread stuff in formation or in theory, not spread stuff that, that we think about when we think of, you know, spread option or read option or zone read, any of that stuff, but just moving people around or getting more athletes on the field. Uh, I think you'll see more of that this year and not a necessity. They have too many good players there uh, to, to not involve all of them. And, and sometimes as many of them as possible at once. And we haven't seen Oliver Martin yet. I mean, I've seen a tape of him, but he'll he'll be in yeah. camp competing. And another kid I liked in spring, and I can't think of his name, with walk-on wide. Oh, was it Shanley? Yeah, Nate, Nate Shanley. Nate Shanley, yeah. No shortage of talent, so we, we know that. But And it is in the backfield, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I look at our depth chart there, and I wonder, is the backfield rotation set, at least in the coach's mind, or as we head into camp now, are they jockeying for position and are there real battles there too? I think that one's one one where they probably have a pretty good idea, but they're going to want to see and make sure that that's you know that their kind of assumption is is what the reality is, and that it's probably Chris Evans followed by Karan Higdon followed by Ty Isaac, you know, and, and the, diff, the the distance between Karan Higdon and Ty Isaac is probably not that wide, and then at the fourth guy would be Kareem Walker. Um, I think that that's their assumption right now. And at the same time, I think they also have the understanding that, you know, Evans, Higdon, and Isaac are all going to get multiple carries probably every game. And then Walker's going to have an opportunity to also get some touches as well. So I think that they're going into this with, we want to have three established guys, and they do, you know, and you want to have one of those guys be 
kind of, you know, an edge above everyone else, which I think everyone can agree is probably Chris Evans. Uh, but you also want to have two other guys who can go in there and get it done as well, which Karan Higdon and Ty Isaac, I think, are both in that boat for them right now. They're confident in each guy. They trust each guy. And they're, they're in a good spot with Kareem Walker because he's, he's put on weight. He's gotten stronger. He's gotten a lot of his off-the-field and in-classroom stuff taken care of. He's hungry to get back in there and kind of compete and earn some time. And, and I think they're in a good spot with him, too. So they can, you know, kind of dangle the carrot there for him and say, you know, there's nothing that, there's nothing that says you can't get in there to be number three or number two uh, by the end of the year. Who knows? You know, or, or maybe you can even pass Chris. Who knows? I mean, there's, not, there's nothing to say that that's not possible. And it, it, because at the end of the day, they're, always, they're going to play four guys. They did last year. They proved that. Uh, so all four of those guys are going to get time. It's just a matter of who gets more and, and, in what, and in what capacity or what ratio. Well, lining up with them in the backfield, or we have uh, some nice choices at the fullback spot. Of course, we have uh, the touchdown maker, Khalid Hill. And yep. uh, Big Ten media days, uh, we heard Jim Harbaugh sort of gushing about uh, Ben Mason moving him from linebacker over to fullback. Really likes this kid, doesn't he? Yeah, I think for the future, for sure. You know, I don't think Ben's going to get a lot of time that this year considering, uh, you know, Hill and Henry Poggi are both fifth-year seniors. But, you know, they needed somebody next year for sure because those guys are going to be gone. And, and fullback is so important, as we know. Versatile athletic fullbacks are important to this to this lineup. As you look at a guy like Khalid Hill, you know, who can literally do anything for you. I mean, Khalid Hill at times, I was watching some clips uh, from Michigan Forest State the other day and, you know, where he catches a touchdown split out as a wideout, you know, in a, in a 22 situation where they spread the field. Uh, because he can do that. You know, he can go out there and run a route. Uh, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a 30-yard route, but he can go out there and run a route. He can catch football. Uh, he's got great hands. He's got great feet. But at the same time, he can line up in the backfield uh, as a tight end and, and lead block for you or carry the football, line up as, a, you know, an H-back, whatever it is. So I think that when you look at him, you know, Khalid Hill has sort of become the prototype of what a tight end needs to be in this offense. He's the guy, he's sort of become the, you know, do all, can you do, if you can do all the things he can do, you can be a great football player here and a really unique football player. And I think that the reason why they moved Ben Mason so early was that they knew he, they knew he had good hands. They knew he could run. And, and they knew that, you know, uh, in a straight line downhill, run into somebody and slam into him. He's, he's pretty good at that too. So all the, all the above, uh, they think he's got all those tools and he can be a unique uh, talent there. So I think I would, I would bet he probably spends a lot of the year learning, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I don't know what this means, but there's probably no one in America that has a better fullback situation than Michigan right now, and I don't think it's probably close. I don't know if that's going to win you any games, but I think that's still the reality of it. Uh, and I do think that uh, Khalid Hill, if, if his weight's right and everything else, um, could be in for a really, really nice year. I think he could be a very, very valuable weapon for them in so many different ways, more than we saw last year uh, with the one-yard scores and everything else. I mean, that should still be on the table, but I think if you involve him more in the offense – he could really be a matchup problem for people and something and someone that makes people think uh, and question what they're doing out there. So it could be an interesting year for Clint. John Jansen and I were talking after the spring practice and then a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him if it's going to take time, in his opinion, for this offensive line to develop during the season. Yes, we've got some few veteran bodies back and some big, uh, talented young guys. And he said, you know what, Mike, they don't have time to develop during yep. the season They've got to do it now in the summer, in the workouts. And he said one thing I found interesting. You know what? They don't have to be great early. They just have to be good uh, right away for Michigan to win. Do you sort of agree with that line of thinking? Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, no, from the very beginning of that point where they, they don't have time. And nobody wants to hear it. You know, nobody wants to hear it anymore. 
uh, well, you know, these guys have got a, hey, they're coming along, you know, they're getting there. Maybe they'll get there by the end of the year. They don't have time for that. I mean, this is not, that's not how this is going to work anymore. That's not what the coaching staff was in front of them. Uh, that's why they worked the way they did in the spring. That's why they brought in an extra offensive line coach. Uh, that's why they've recruited all these bodies, frankly, because they don't have time. They have to get it figured out, and it has to be now. And, and you know, like John says, I mean, yeah, the Florida game will be a test, no, no question about it. But at the same time, every, it's early for everyone. And the, the thing to remember is that for everyone you're playing in those first four or five weeks, you're not playing Alabama. You're not playing, you know, USC or any of these people. You're, you're playing a good team in Florida, and, some, and you're not playing cream puffs the rest of the way, but you're, you're also playing teams that are still trying to figure it out. So, no, they don't have to be great. But they can't be terrible either, you know what I mean? And that's that they just have to be, they just have to be good enough to hold water and, and put one foot in front of the other and continue to get better week after week. And if you do that every week, by the time you play Ohio State, you have a chance to be really, really good because they do have a lot of talent up there. They have more talent in terms of athleticism and everything else than they've had in the past. It's just not as seasoned. So if you can just start out with a good a good base of being solid and then move forward every week without taking too many big steps backward, I think that, you know, by the end of the year, you could be really good. And then you look forward and you say, wow, that's, that's the foundation of what could be a very good offensive line down the line. So he's right. I mean, you know, young offensive lines have worked before. It's not, it's not impossible. It's not some like thing that I think we've all kind of conditioned ourselves to think that there's just no chance it'll work unless you have three fifth year seniors or four fifth year seniors in there. You know, that's not the case. You know, young, young guys can get in there and make it happen. But at the same time, you know, they've got to have that sort of attitude that it has to go now and and they have to be good and they have to be better now and they don't have time, you know, like, like John says, they don't have time to sit around and wait and say, well, they're just going to, you know, be terrible for three weeks. You might as well get used to it. I mean, that's just not, not in the equation, can't happen, uh, not at a place like this, the way that they're playing right now. So uh, I liked a lot of the progress they made in the offseason. I, I thought they were way ahead of schedule in the, in the spring. Uh, if they can carry that over, I think they'll surprise some people early in the year. I don't think they'll be great. I think they'll have their problems, but I think they'll be good enough at times early in the year. And then if they continue to improve, uh, you've, you've got yourself a pretty good situation there. So that's how I would I would read it. But at the same time, you're going to have to see it to believe it first. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the other side of the ball for just a couple of minutes, Nick. Uh, every time uh, it seems like we hear from Don Brown, he is just jacked up about his defense. I mean, he's infectious, and players <laughs> tell you that too. Uh, I, I even read this somewhere where, where he said, I don't think we're going to miss much of a beat this year as compared to last year's defense. But, you know, coming out of spring ball, I remember talking to you and you said that the defensive line, the depth on that defensive line uh, could be a worry. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's going to be tough early, again, early, to get eight guys that you can totally trust. Um, I think you could get six. Uh, but a lot of, but, you know, you're, you're talking about two or three of those guys being freshmen. I mean, in that, in that, in that eight man rotation, because your, your top five are pretty solid. You know, your, your starting four is, as we know, we've been over that before. And then Carlo Kemp is a fifth, uh, you know, kind of defensive end rotation guy is, is solid in there too. But you know, Aubrey Solomon, James Hudson, uh, Luigi Villain, whether it be Quiddy Pay, Donovan Jeter, uh, or someone else. I mean, you know, I mean, somebody like Ron Johnson or Lawrence Marshall could surprise, uh, or Ruben Jones, but I, I look at those guys and I mean, they're playing new positions. Uh, they're trying to gain a bunch of weight and they're doing it on a necessity. I, in some ways they're almost like freshmen too, in that they're playing brand new spots. So whoever it is, it's going to be somebody who's, who's in there doing it kind of for the first time. And that's why I, I sort of have a question mark there. Uh, I think that you could see anywhere from eight to 10 guys play in the first game, just because I think they're going to want to see who they have. You know, Michael Glumford would be another one in there that, uh, that hasn't played much 
but he was hurt a lot last year and we just don't know. You know, I think that's the thing. You just, it's just a mystery to me what those guys will be behind that first four uh, and, you know, other than Carlo Kemp. So it's still a question mark. There's definitely talent there and it's good enough to probably be serviceable. I don't think it'll be as good as last year's was. I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that, uh, or if they do, I think they're, they're drinking some Kool-Aid or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it'll be good. I think it'll be solid. There's a lot of talent up there, but at the same time, you know, depth is always a concern up front, especially it's got to be quality depth. It can't just be bodies standing there as we've, we've seen over the years. So, uh, that's why I think camp will be important for that, and we'll see you know how fast those guys can get ready. Behind that defensive line, only Mike McCray is a, a known quantity, or at least someone we've seen play. Uh, to me, the linebackers and the communication between the new secondary, because no one's questioning that those kids back there don't have mm-hmm. ability, but that to me is the thing to watch early, Nick. That communication is so important back there. Well, the secondary in general is the biggest question mark on the team to me, especially corner. I think you know I think cornerback is going to be the the hottest competition in camp, um, the most intensely fought, whatever you want to call it, you know, because there were no, there were no front runners at the end of spring zero. I mean, that was a little alarming in some ways to me when, you know, Levert Hill missed a lot of time with, with, uh, with injuries. They were not really happy with how far along they had gotten with him due to the injuries. Not happy at all. Frankly, David Long, I think was in the same boat. You know, David did not go to Europe, so he he missed the last three practices at least, and I think he may have missed more in there as well. So he did not land a job or, or get himself a position to be a guy. I think they were happy with what Keith Washington was able to do and kind of put himself in the mix. Um, Benjamin St. Juice, I think, impressed a lot of people. Ambry Thomas still physically has some issues, but I think impressed people with his raw capabilities and everything else. But you you peel it all back, and, you know, you think Levert Hill is going to be the guy, but you don't know. And then you, at one spot anyway, and then the other spot you have no idea, and that's kind of where they're where they're at right now. They think and hope Levert Hill in the first couple of weeks can and can be the guy they think he is and take one of those jobs, and then they have no idea what's going to happen at the other spot. So that is wide open, uh, and then secondary is up the middle. You know they really like Tyree Cannell and Josh Metellus with Jordan Glasgow kind of fitting in there as well. So they've got at least a good idea, I think, of what's going to happen there. But as you said, communication between whoever those two are with the corners and the linebackers for coverage, say, you know, for coverage reasons and everything else, all of that, the whole pass defense in general, that is an area that is going to go through some hiccups. I'm almost certain of it that we just haven't seen Michigan's defenses go through in the last two or three years. I mean, people have been spoiled with these pass defenses that were letting up 60 yards a game, you know, and just embarrassing people for two or three seasons with Jordan Lewis and those guys back there. You're going to see some gashes this year. It uh, doesn't mean they're not going to be. It doesn't mean they're going to be bad. It just means you're going to see some mistakes or, or mishaps or miscues, especially early, uh, as those guys kind of catch their footing. Because I also think they're going to rotate guys. I, I don't know if the corner is going to be settled by the time camp ends. Maybe it will be, but I, I could also see a situation where you know somebody's split in time, as you, as we saw with you know, uh, Jeremy Clark and Channing Stribling splitting snaps there at one of the spots. So that's wide open, and uh, it remains to be seen kind of who. You know, who can kind of walk through the fire and come out the other side? You know, as fans, uh, a lot of us overlook special teams uh, until they botch a punt, miss a field goal, yeah. um, you know, boof an extra point. And we have all new faces uh, in those spots. Does Quinn Nordeen have the kicking job one? I think so. He's got a leg for sure. Um, he had the best leg of anyone I saw in spring. Uh, he was booting it from, from, you know, 50 and beyond a few times. Uh, you know, he looks every bit of the part of the scholarship kicker that you took a couple of years ago. So I think so, but at the same time, you know, uh, kicking in, kicking in a, in a, in a beat up grass field in Italy uh, in front of nobody 
in front of me and a few other people <laughs> standing there and kicking in front of 110,000 people is a little bit different. So, you know, we're going to see, you know, how things go for Quinn when he gets on the field in a real game. Uh, things change, of course, when you get in those environments. So he has all the physical abilities to be a very good kicker here. And I think that, you know, he could be a guy who's, who's kicking for four years if, if he, in fact, you know, has all the mental you know, the mental consistency that goes along with his kind of physical uh, ceiling. So I think that they're, they're probably in a good spot there until maybe they're not, but I think that they like where they're at there. Uh, and then the punter is also going to be an untested guy. I think Brad Robbins, um, the freshman who they gave a scholarship to same thing. You know, I think that they really like what he can do from a physical standpoint, but you know, we're going to have to see, you know, Kenny Allen, again, same thing. He was fantastic last year as a, as a punter, he had one, he had one little stretch as a place kicker where he struggled, but that was it. I mean, as a punter last year, he was uh, amazing. He was, uh, was the most consistent weapon they had there on some, on, on some days. And it was one of those things where he just never even thought about him because every time he, he punted, there was never an adventure. There was never a miscue. It was always where it needed to go. Uh, he always dropped it in the right spot. So he was, he was terrific. So you're going to have to replace a really, really good situation that you had with two untested guys. And, you know, while I think physically they're both very talented, um, man, we you don't know. I mean, mentally, if you have to, if Quinn Nordine has to trot out there against Florida in Week One at Cowboy Stadium with game on the line, I, I have no idea where that ball is going to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? As a, as a freshman who's never done it before, so those are factors, especially for young kickers who have never been in those environments or spotlights. So uh, that's going to have to be a wait and see. I think it's probably Quinn and probably Brad Robbins, but we're going to have to wait and see how it shakes out. Another concern I have is the return game. Who's going to return punts yeah. and who's going to return kicks? And, you know, field position from that piece of the game is so key. And it's going to be interesting, of course, to see how that develops again. That is another area where it's pretty much wide open, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, and I think that's one where people are going to see and notice the absence of Jabril Peppers uh, quite a bit, because I think you're going to lose field position just because, um, you know, Jabril, number one, never dropped a punt. I think that that was the one most underrated thing about his punt return abilities. He caught everything in traffic, you know, with one hand sometimes with five guys around him, whatever it was, he made the catch. He was able to, you know, at least secure whatever field position you were going to get on the basis of that and that alone. Uh, add in the fact that he could bring one back at any time. And by the end of the season, teams were just pooching the ball out of bounds and just giving Michigan the ball in great spots almost every time. Uh, you're not going to see that anymore. You know, they're going to kick the guys. And if you don't have anybody back there that can consistently catch the football, it can be, you know, start the, uh, you know, start the Benny Hill, Hill music, I guess. I mean, that could be a problem. I mean, Michigan's had those problems before in the past, and everyone knows what that looks like. So, you know, Nate Johnson was the guy in, in the spring game but Nate didn't have a good day in the spring game. He did not. Uh, he did not secure that football the way he needed to. So, punt returner to me is the bi- is a big one on special teams. Of you got to find somebody who can first and foremost just catch it. Just make sure you're <laughs> make sure you're hanging on to it, and at least stopping the bleeding in terms of field position from from you know catch the ball. Don't let it roll 25 yards or whatever necessarily, and all that sort of thing. And don't and certainly don't turn it over. So I think that's the big one. You know, kick return, they've got enough athletes that can do that. Uh, the kick return wouldn't bother me as much or wouldn't be a concern as much. But punt return, uh, it looked like it was going to be Nate Johnson, but unless one of these freshmen come in there and make something happen, uh, somebody's got to get better and improve at that throughout fall camp because that's going to be an important job uh, for whoever it is uh, as they go forward. Well, as we have touched on a couple of times today, Nick, uh, it's it's the first day of practice as we record, so we have four weeks to think about all this and more. It's mm-hmm. here, we're at the dawn of uh, year three for Jim Harbaugh. Um, we've seen what the national uh, pundits and experts uh, think about this team. 
the fans, we already know what they think. Expectations are through the roof, uh, as they usually are at this time of the year. But do you think they're yeah. too high, Nick, for this team? Um, I think I think at this point it's to each his own. I mean, I mean, if if you think that they're going to go twelve and zero or something, then yeah, that's too high. You know, eleven and one is probably too high. But at the same time, I'm having a hard time telling Michigan fans who've been through kind of the ringer here, pretty good for seven or eight years, and are now in a situation where their team is paying a coach a fortune, and they have all they have everything they need to be good. I'm having a hard time telling those people to why don't you wait another year? You know what I mean? So it's like. If there's some people who expect this team and want this team to be really good this year, and I don't think it's insane to think that that this football team, with all the talent it has, can't can't make can't go on the road and beat beat Penn State when it's not supposed to, and maybe all of a sudden be looking at a ten or eleven win season. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think I would expect it, but I don't think I would call anyone crazy if if that's what they have in their head. You know what I mean? So I think it's to a point now where you know there can't be any more bad years here. There can't that can't happen. You know, eight and four unacceptable nine and three on some level depends on how you get there but nine and three and every and every every year after this is probably going to be unacceptable uh with all the resources you put into this the recruiting you've been able to put together you know you have your head coach he's getting whatever he wants in terms of support and everything else there is zero excuse left for you not to be really good i don't think they're making any inside the program of course but at the same time i'm having a hard time telling a lot of fans to calm down because you know they've been through it they've seen all the Wait till next time. Wait till we get all the stars aligned. Well, not everybody ever, ever always has all the stars aligned to have a good season. It's just about going out there and getting it done. And when we talk about you know beating teams on the road, and that's ultimately the the, the secret to the season here for Michigan. You got two games at you know obviously Florida's one, but you got at Penn State at Wisconsin. If you go through another year where you've lost your two marquee road games and you've lost to Ohio State, I think people have the right to be pretty upset about that because that's not progress. That's not. It, that's not moving forward. That's doing the same stuff you've been doing for the last 10 years. So at some point, it's got to be, are you going to be able to at least beat somebody good on the road? And are you going to be able to beat your rival? Until you can do those things, you're sort of just spinning your wheels. And I think that that's, you know, expectations in terms of a record, I don't know. But expectations in terms of that, I think that's something that needs to be pushed forward this year, regardless of your age or anything else. I think people deserve that. I think that's not insane for people to ask for. Beat somebody on the road that's good and or beat your rival. If you can do those things, I think you're you're in for a pretty good positive situation moving forward into 2018. But if you can't, then you're you're kind of spinning your wheels. And if people are upset, you have no reason to point point at them and say that, that that's unfair to be upset about. Because you know, frankly, I think that would be you know fair ground for frustration, even if you're nine and three or whatever it is. So you got to start doing some of the things that you haven't been doing. Uh, and I think that's that's where they're at now in year three. Uh, you're not as veteran as you might maybe you would like to be, but at the same time, nobody's going to wait for you. Nobody's going to make that excuse for you. So you got to go and you got to get them ready and. And they will, and uh, we'll see what happens. And one of the big things that we have not been doing, not not only for the last two years, but for a long time now, is beating Ohio State, whether it's down there in the shoe mm-hmm. or up here in the big house. Are we at the point, Nick, where that this year, on Thanksgiving weekend, this is a must-win game for the Jim Harbaugh program? Yeah, I think they all are now. You're 0-2, and um, you know people can say whatever they want about a spot, or they really won the game. I mean, you're 0-2. That's the reality of it, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I think they all kind of are now. And I think what, what everyone's learned as well is that uh, Urban Meyer and Ohio State are not going to wait around for you. They're not going to wait, you know, and take a knee and say, why don't you catch up here? Uh, and then maybe we'll have a lot of fun. I mean, you're just going to have to go do it. And that's why it's hard. And that's why it's fun. And that's why it's one of those things that's, that's interesting for, and probably scary for some people too, I would think on some level, 
because Ohio State is at as good is in as good of a spot recruiting and, and development and everything else that they have going on right now as they've ever been, uh, at least in the last 25 years, whatever it's whatever you want to call it. And you know they're one of the two most consistent teams in the country programs. And you know that's your that's your cross the bear is that your arch rival is one of the best things in college football right now. I think Auburn is the only other school in the country that could probably commiserate with you on that. So at the same time, though, you know, yeah, you've got to start doing that. You've got to start beating those winning those games, uh, at least at home, uh, competitive probably isn't enough anymore. You've, you've got to win. You've got to, you've got to do that. Uh, when it's, when it's on your home, home turf, cause you're going to have all these kids in here, right? You're gonna have all these recruits in here, uh, for that game at the end of November. And if you lose again, how are you going to look at any of them and say, this is the place to be? Because if you've lost again, you're zero and three, you got all the things you said three years ago, you had all these things ready to go. And you might be great. You might be better than everybody else in the league. But if you're not better than Ohio State, why is a top-level kid going to say, I'm going, I'm going to go here over Ohio State? I mean, it just it, you have a hard sell there. It'd be harder for you than it needs to be. So, so, yeah, you need to start winning some games on the road. And more, most importantly, of anything else, you have got to beat Ohio State this year. Uh, and it's a tall order, of course, because you're younger than they are now. Uh, and they're going to be really good. But, you know, they're always going to be really good, I think, as long as their Meyer's there. So that's never going to be a an easy game and you wouldn't want it to be right. You'd want it to be them at their best. So um, yeah, you got to have it. You know, you started out 0 two in terms of future momentum and everything else. You can't keep losing to those guys uh, and hope to have the same kind of recruiting momentum that you have right now. Well, we have four weeks to speculate, worry, uh, overanalyze everything uh, that we read and hear. So uh, it's fun to have college football back, isn't it, Nick? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that time of year. Sad to see summer go, but at the same time, it's always fun to, uh, Get back to football season. Always exciting, and you never know what's going to happen. Well, our guest in this week's show has been uh, beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. As we begin the previews, uh, Nick, as always, thanks for the time, and we will have you back on soon. I'm sure of that. So we look forward to that next visit. Sounds good, Mike. Take care. Quick hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on the Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, as I mentioned at the top of the show, August marks our return to weekly programming. When the season gets started, we will have two shows a week. On Tuesdays, our Michigan Game Day segment, featuring one of our beat writers, former players, or media personalities. Then on Thursday, our popular Visitors Edition, with the opposition's radio play-by-play voice or one of their beat writers. Next week, we are scheduled to have Michigan great Jamie Morris on the show with us. Jamie co-hosts the M-Zone on WTKA Ann Arbor, Monday through Friday with Marcus Ray. I'm anxious to get his thoughts on our stable of running backs and his thoughts on former teammate and friend Jim Harbaugh. So make sure you join us next week for that. With the season fast approaching, make sure you take the Michigan man with you wherever you go so you're up on the latest news. Our free show apps are available in the Google Play and iTunes stores, and we can also be heard now on iHeart, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on the show. That will do it for this week. Once again, we'll be back next week with Jamie Morris as we continue to preview the coming season. Until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care, and as always, Go Blue!
Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!